All right, because three is a crowd, I'm here today once again, as always, in the bunker. No more wall. Kelly, how's it going? It's so much better without the wall. It's so much better. It's so much brighter and open and great. How has your week been since we last talked on Sarah? Oh, my gosh. It's been great. Yeah. It's, it's been a good week. It's been okay. Just been hanging out. Hanging out. Listening to License to Kill, ready to go. I guess that kind of spoils it. This is a Bob Dylan podcast. <laughs> Amazing. This is a Bob Dylan podcast. We randomly select a Bob Dylan song every week. We then come back at the end of the week, right now, and we talk about it. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as the mysterious savior, savior of Poland prophesized by the Polish national poet Adam Mickiewicz. Mick, Mickiewicz. In his masterpiece dramatic poem, I really stepped out on a on a on a platform I could not. D Z, D Z. Sure. Z. It's a character we don't have. So it's just Z. I mean, that's yeah. it's a Z. It's something we can't say. Dramatic poem, Zadi, which means forefathers, and this is a quote from the poem: "Born from a foreign mother, his blood of ancient heroes, and his name will be forty and four. And this week, we've been listening to Bob Dylan's License to Kill off of 1983's Infidels. Man thinks, cause he rules the earth, he can do with it as he pleases. And if things don't change soon, he will. All right, Kelly, License to Kill, episode 44, if you didn't catch 40 and 4. It yeah. means 44. How was your week just initially with the song? We're going to get into it deeper, but how was your week with uh, with License to Kill? I liked it better over time. Over time. Yeah. So right off the bat, you were like, yeah. And the lyrics are great. There's nothing really wrong with it. It's just a little boring and slow. Laconic. Yes, what a great word. Is it laconic in the way that uh, Clothesline Saga is laconic? Because that's almost like on purpose, yeah, whereas I don't right. know if this one's supposed to be on purpose. In like more of a satire, too. This this is just a slow song. That's a good point. It, yeah, yeah Clothesline Saga does have those things going for it. Right. We'll find out later what this has possibly going for it, but a little bit of context. So this song, and it's a quick context, really. Uh, this song was recorded in one take, which maybe tells you everything you need to know about it. Mm-hmm. April 13th, 1983 at Power Station Studios in NYC. We listened to a couple different versions of it, which we'll kind of get into as we go along. But we listened to, obviously, Infidels, 1983. We listened to Real Live, which was 1984, so a year after, which we've listened to one other from that, which was Tangled Up in Blue, which you really enjoyed. I did. So we'll see what happens here. We listened to um, one from the Outfidel Intakes, Bootleg which is kind of the songs without the flourishes, but I couldn't really tell a difference between that and the other one. So I... You could? No. Okay. I synced them up. I played them both at the same exact time. It's your difference. Science. Perfect. Love it. And I kind of figured with this one, it's... Because I'm thinking of other ones on that bootleg, and I'm like, okay, I, I, do, know the, I do know the value of it. But with this one, with one take... Yeah, I mean, I don't I, think. Well, unless were, you're going back to overdub, uh, like that's, that's what we're good. talking about. I thought, I thought for sure there would just be some weird overdubs, but even listening to the song, I'm like, there's not really a lot of overdubbing. It's kind of a piano and a, a gentle guitar 
over Bob singing. There's I mean, not there a whole might lot have been noise. a slight change to the mix. Yeah, in post. A lot of a lot of the recording and the sound quality is not up to par with other records of his. So <laughs> on that level alone, the Alfidel intakes as a bootleg sounds as good as infidels which is not great uh this song was first played live in 1984 so um i don't think it was for real live specifically but it was around that same time uh he's played it 46 times total the last time in 1998 we um we also listened to a couple covers of this song tom petty yep. did one for the 30th anniversary um concert for bob dylan and Elvis costello did Maybe the best version of this song. So weird. Period. So cool. Yeah. That was fantastic. I didn't know Elvis Costello could sound like that. And I think Elvis Costello like captured maybe something of the vibe that Bob wish he could have done. Because it was great. And it was really somber. But I don't know. Just did it really well. It was also super playful. Which was interesting. The thing that I disliked the most about the real live version is I, before I had ever listened to Bob Dylan doing this podcast, which was when I started, yes. uh, there, the only thing I know about him is that voice that everyone makes fun of, that tangled up in blue voice, that, and man, was he deep in that during the live version of this song that we listened to, and it was jarring, because it's been a while, because we've been all over the fucking map, yeah. and I've heard... So many sides to this guy's voice that I wasn't prepared to go back to this. But this cliched idea of him and that's all he is. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that was disappointing and I did not like it because holy crap, especially when he gets into the bridge. It's true. We haven't heard him in this in this realm since. Uh, yeah, I've been doing since, folk since Bob. Three. Been doing crooner Bob. Been doing lots of different Bob. But this, whew. just the Desire Bob. Yeah. yeah, I mean Desire Bob. Even it's only been seven years or so, but it feels like another fucking lifetime away. It's although my favorite version of this song is you. Uh, you found a little YouTube clip of oh, him yeah, playing it yeah. on Letterman. It went I've, sometime in the eighties, right? This would be nineteen eighty four. He went on Letterman played couple of songs. I know he played this in Joker Man. I don't know if he played another one or not, um, but I, I kind of forgot all about it. And I don't have like a a recording of that, you know, to kind of put on Dropbox or whatever. So, yeah, when I remembered it, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is like this is a version of Bob Dylan. And we'll talk about it probably a lot more with Joker Man because it's so starkly different. This version, though, is really cool. And I love the band. And the band was something that Bob was energized to play with. And then management was like, no. So, yeah. who? Okay. First of all, I absolutely love this version. Yeah. Just fantastic. Uh, it, it felt like the first Bob Dylan rock song I'd ever heard because they were fucking getting it. We, we also dropped the organ and added uh-huh. another guitar, which was amazing. There was a bunch of little fills added in. Like, mm-hmm. it really – it just went. Uh, he the pacing of the the vocals was completely different too. Mm-hmm. It had a different cadence. He wasn't ah! as much, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. Uh, and he, the, this close to the very end, he takes the guitar off to play the harmonica. I was like, fucking dope. Cause I didn't think we were going to do it. Cause we we're just doing mm-hmm. the guitars, but yeah, it was a rock song and it reminded me a lot of Hedwig and the Angry Inch weirdly. Cool. Just cause it felt like a powerful musical, like I'm fucking David Letterman something. was into it. 
the it crowd was, at the end was into it. It yeah. sounded like they were kind of like hesitantly into it. And then he was definitely getting like a standing ovation because they just kind of stopped. And Bob, of course, like put his head down mm-hmm. and was like, I'm not into this. But yeah, they it was great. It was so good. Yeah. It was one of my favorite songs yeah. maybe that we've listened to. And it's a, a bummer that like the actual studio version did not hit me no, like that at all. No, no, no. I, I don't think he even had that in him, but that is a version of Bob Dylan that could have actually existed. Also, well, I've never seen him play. So that oh, was like, wow, I've that's only ever right. seen him in sixties Bob, but I've only ever seen that. Mm-hmm. So it was really funny and weird to see him like rocking and rolling around, just mm-hmm. like kicking his little legs out and like <laughs> getting it it was really fun well and now he doesn't like he just sits behind the piano right. or whatever but even when you know i got to luckily i got to see him only once with the guitar the other times he's only just been around the beyond the piano um it's fun it's just weird you don't because you don't know he doesn't do that stuff that often but even yeah rock and bob like moving those legs and doing stuff like tiny he is too he's, like, he's a little small stick legs. and his little fro he's still mm-hmm. oh, it was wonderful yeah it was really cool to see him again and you're just captivated i think the whole time regardless of the song i was like i was drawn into it and even david david letterman at the end like you could just tell that there was something about that night and this is something really big for bob dylan fandom in general because i think it's one of those weird moments where it's either just a weird like oh that's a weird thing that bob did among all the other weird and cool things that bob's done or it's like man imagine you know empire burlesque as a punk record it's just it's so interesting to think of what bob dylan could have written or could have been into if he wasn't just an institution and I think the 80s is just – that is Bob Dylan, especially after Infidels because he doesn't have another good record until Oh Mercy. So that's a six-year drought where he writes one song of any note and that sucks. And it could have been punk rock Bob all the way well, through. Where does this band – So they were just kids that were playing in Malibu. I think that they were part of a part of different punk bands. Um, I forget the exact – we'll get into it more. It was not something I was prepared for. But once we get to Joker Man, I promise, which will be sooner than you think, we will talk about this band for sure. Okay. So we will get into that. But this wasn't just like Letterman supplied. Not at all. Not at all. No, they were people that actually played it. And they played a lot of songs with him. And he was really energized by it. He really wanted to like go on tour with them, play with them. Let me take him. Let me teach him. So the song, as we said, laconic, the drums are 80s, Bob Dylan is very slow on the delivery. Maybe I'm reading too much into what you actually think. I enjoy personally singing the song. That's like a thing that only because I really know the words, obviously, but like whenever I put infidels in, I'm excited to get to this because I like to sing it. I like to belt it in my car by myself. I can see that. Uh, the, the, it sounds good. Again, the music's not so much. 
But if I'm thinking of just the Letterman performance, well, and the two fit even the two the two frames of music, like the slowness of the music and Bob's laconic voice. Mm-hmm. Thinking about it a little more than I've ever thought about it ever before. I think it fits perfectly. I think it's kind of great. It's another one of those, which I we we've come to the last few songs we've listened to, where it's not a bad song. It sounds okay together. It's just like I wouldn't listen to this again probably. Although maybe it would. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, the lyrics were great because it's to me it was. I mean, it's one of those things that could go micro to macro again, where it's or even the reverse. It seems like a comment on a soldier, but then also the military mm. institution. So. So there's a lot of a lot of opinion about what this song, of course, is all about. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! Oh, you know, we've only been 40 episodes, and it seems like every song is just a hodgepodge of what people think. Crazy. <laughs> Let's just kind of break it down. I mean, I've been really into just kind of taking it kind of beat by beat uh, recently because these songs have been kind of ripe for the picking. They're not really – it's not really a whole like big theme thing and, you know, these are all kind of very verse-like. And I like that he did it in one take because this is a rare example of 1980s Bob that he doesn't linger on lyrical changes. Like if he's changed it live, I'm not really aware of it right off the bat. But this is a great example of like this song is is I don't know depending on your own what you're bringing to it you can read it in whatever way you want to but the fact that Bob didn't water it down or make some of the critiques on here like less than what he actually felt is interesting by versus itself. like Queen and Sundown yeah where not only that which is kind of yeah well a lot of infidels is kind of tame like that but it's also even when we were talking about Born in Time something as simple as that you're taking something that is much more emotionally raw and you turn it around into something that's completely different you know you and he's done that with so many songs that we have multiple examples of where he made it worse he made it worse over time like why that's such a Bob Dylan thing to do but thankfully we have one version of this yeah. Yeah, we don't have something else to, to to pin it on so let's just go through it sure so so the very first verse and i think maybe i don't know how the rest of the world feels about this but apparently his whole man invented his doom his first step was touching the moon yeah i think i think it's something weird that people like it really turned off by that beginning for some reason and I they're mean, just out i could see it because it's like really anti-science anti-discovery anti-progress in that line, depending on how you're taking it. Yeah, but those words are also – so there's the thing. So that's the big thing right there is like the word progress is loaded. Oh, yeah. Science shouldn't be, but in, in a way it sort of is. Um, I think that – I don't know. I was trying to wrap my head around it. I'm like man invented his doom. His first step was touching the moon. That's that's wrong on so many levels. Like we had nuclear bombs before we went to the moon. Yes. We could destroy the world before we got to the moon. So I don't, th- I don't think that that's really it. I think it's more like man looks to the stars and worries about other planets instead of Earth. You know? Oh. I think that's really all it is. Like it's just kind of a couplet that shouldn't be the worst thing that's ever been written. It's provocative only when you take it like really literally. Because then you're basically saying, why did we go up there? It would be as if you were Bob Dylan and you said, quote, what's the purpose of going to the moon? To me, it doesn't make any sense. Is that supposed to be something that a person is supposed to get excited about? Is that progress? Or <laughs> <laughs> or when uh, the challenger, the the um, 
blew up in 1986. Right. He brought this song back. He played it a few times, and then he brought it back for the first time in two years in Sydney right after that. He said, quote, here's something I wrote a while back. It's all about the space program. Oh, I suppose oh. you heard about this recent tragedy, right? I don't need to tell you it's it really was a tragedy. You see, these people had no business going up there. Like, there's not enough problems on Earth to solve. So I want to dedicate this song to all those poor people who were fooled into going up there. Wow. So, so. <laughs> well, I'm, okay, there's a legitimate critique to say that we, yeah. when people are starving and dying. That's what he just, I mean, yeah. They're, Inside of that hilarious bit of oh, nonsense is, ba- is basically that, which is yeah. like, we've got problems on Earth. Why would we dedicate any resources to anything else? Right. Which in itself is uh, like that's just, that, that's just like where do you come down on what you think is worthwhile in the world? Like I think it's it's rich coming from Bob Dylan to like start, bro. If science didn't make your microphone or your guitar, you wouldn't be bl-. shut up, <laughs> shut up. Also, I don't see you giving all away all of your money because there's problems in yeah. the world, huh? Huh? <laughs> And some people want it to be about the environment, which for me makes so much more sense in this current moment. Like any good song, you can pin that onto it. But, you know, what he's saying is not wrong. You know, man's desire to advance technologically is getting in the way of stuff on Earth. Like, that's fine. That's fine. But I think that's the whole point of the first line. Like, if man and technology are getting in the way and we're thinking to the stars and we're not thinking about the world, then what else, uh, then what else keeps going on? So the next line, in, if you will, the chorus, I guess, you, would you say this song is a chorus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think that's like the connective tissue. Some people aren't into the woman. Oh, really? Yeah, they're just like, Wait, I mean, some people think people it's dumb. don't like women? <laughs> but also the woman as a, even in the song? As just like a, a monitor of some kind? Yeah. And I think some people, again, if you want it to be an environmental song, it's like Mother Earth watching oh, you. If okay. you want it All to right. be like an anti-technology song, then it's like. You know, somebody who, like an old lady who, like, survived the world wars and stuff like that, like, watching the progress go on. I think that's the most compelling one. For me, I, I, I don't think that there's nothing to say in that it's a man doing all of this and a woman the, is the one on the side not doing it. There's something to be said for that. But I don't think Bob Dylan's the one to be making that argument as we listened to Sarah the other day. So it's not – so – and like I said, he's not that black and white. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of enjoy the songs that have – a moment where we all listening to the song can sort of implant our feet. Because if you think it's weird that he's saying those things about the moon and then you realize, oh, he actually does think that going to the moon was weird, then you might want to turn off the song. But then there's these moments where you're like, oh, okay. Who's going to wake it, take away his license to kill? Now, this is where the religion comes in, Kelly. Ready? Oh, here it Who's is. going to take it away? God. <laughs> this is a godless society. Some people think this song is like Bob Dylan, Judgment Day is coming. Why are we, why are we going to space? God's judgment. Why are we doing anything? Judgment Day is around the corner. Really? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that's what some people think. Yeah. Wow. You know, you can never tell with this guy. Who Who knows? You really can't. Yeah. So that was all kind of disappointing to me. The next verse goes into, uh, you know, uh, they, te- they take him, they teach him, they groom him for life. They set him on a path where he's bound to get ill. They bury him with stars, sell their body, sell his body like they do use cars. I love singing that, personally. I think the way that all of those words fit together... Makes me very happy. I'm just hearing Tom Petty sing it. Oh, yeah. really funny. Because he has such a like, that sweet, yeah, he does have a sweet voice. Yeah. yeah. See, and I just can't because I've heard You're License so to Kill hundreds of times now with Bob Dylan. 
um, it really gets at me. But I think that's another important critique right there. Not only with they take him and they teach him, you know, I think that's talking about propaganda. I mean, he talks about that a few times. Well, I mean, on, that's on why I was like, oh, this is about a soldier. This is about. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's good. And then obviously he's hell bent for destruction. And well, and be bar- buried under stars. That's the flag. Ooh, oh, oh, no, I it was... did not. Oh, yeah, I thought that's what that meant. I thought that was like, oh, that's what it no, was that's to so cool. No, I always thought just stars with the moon. I just thought, you know, bury him in the night, you know, oh. just kind of like a beautiful like night scene. No, I immediately was like, oh, sell his body like they what? Yeah, a- <laughs> oh, that's rad. I had no idea. No, I also like the idea of selling your body like they do use cars. This is where we got to Union Sundown. We talked a lot about capitalism and just kind of like Bob's critique, if you want to read it that way or praise of it i don't i don't see how anybody could think that there's anything praiseworthy in that but definitely the critique of it i think there's obviously a critique here you know the idea of selling your body like they do used cars you're not selling it like new cars you're not selling it for the me the used cars thing is like this is just this isn't a person this is an object this is something to be used in our our wars well and we're all slowly becoming objects how could you sell your body could you sell other than like in a sexually explicit way whoa could you sell pieces of your body is that what they mean I don't know. Is this the sound of the black mirror cracking in the background? (laughs) Like there are definitely people out there in the world that like we are living with mechanical parts. We are living with animatronic elements in our body. Soon we'll all just be robots. Skynet will take over. Right. (laughs) So there's like we, we all have we're familiar with, you know, animatronic hands animatronics not yeah. maybe the right word but you know what i mean these for, are good visuals for uh, yeah i'm, I'm, gra- I'm the class. claws like the claw <laughs> yeah. down in the in the machine picking up the stuff yeah right. and we have that's why we put on soldiers that come home from war just claws claw, like claw yeah basically yeah, yeah. Uh, but Pick we have artificial bears. uh hearts or at least um there's a thing called a left ventricle assisted device which is like a, a pump, do a ventricle in your heart yeah that uh assists that in in mechanically pumping they also were trying they've made uh, mechanical hearts before but they don't super duper work they also made one that was or they're prototyping one that doesn't pump it actually is a spinning it's inside of it has ball bearings that spin constantly Whoa. so you wouldn't have a pulse right it would just your your blood's moving but it's not pumping which oh. is wild um i don't think that's actually been put into people yet but most no. of the ones are just actual pumps the problem that's with wild. that being that they need a power source constantly mm. so people have batteries uh, those actually exist right now and you have to charge your battery packs that are connected to your body. These, you know, so you have the thing inside of your chest, and then cables come out of it, mm-hmm. and they go into this little battery pack that you wear around your your waist, and then you can charge that off of it, which is nuts. But even beyond that, like we have gene editing is a thing now. Do you know? Yeah. So I mean, I've heard of it. I don't really know. A lot of shit happened last year with gene editing. Really? Um, CRISPR. I don't know if you're. So, Man, CRISPR. you need to treat me like I'm an idiot. Right <laughs> Explain it like I'm five. Uh, gene editing or genome editing is a technology that gives scientists the ability to change organisms' DNA. They allow genetic material to be added, removed, or altered um, at particular occasions in the genome. Several approaches to genome editing have been developed, but a recent one is called CRISPR, which is so that that's an acronym. It's C-R-I-S-P-R, Cas9, which is short for clustered. Regularly interspersed, short, palindromic, repeats, and then the CRISPR-assisted protein 9. Um, that's just a, a specific method, but that it's been able to be so specific 
whereas other previous gene editing before, I guess they couldn't break it down to such a small level. So the way DNA works, you know, think of the double helix, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, it's that it's a AT and GC. I don't remember the mm-hmm. names of the things, yeah. right? So CRISPR is so specific, it can actually get to those base pairs. It's called base editing. Awesome. Um, I mean, scary. Yeah, it's insane. But did I say awesome? I meant scary. <laughs> <laughs> so last year, the the first human embryos in America, they they had done some in China, I guess. But at OHSU, right here, man. Whoa, Oregon, outside of the bunker, health and sciences university. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, which I almost forgot. Uh, they were able to correct. How you know? <laughs> Working with CRISPR, they were able to correct a heart defect in the embryos they tested seventy percent of the time. Wow! So this obviously means that the the goal is, the hope is, we can make things like sickle cell anemia a thing of the past. These right. genetic disorders. I mean, Huntington's would mm-hmm. be a great example that we just take it out of the the DNA code. Um, but this brings up huge moral questions. So there's 32,000 genetic mutations known, uh, and half of those are direct causes to diseases that humans experience. Yeah. So this CRISPR technology can delete those, just like you would do in a software code. Yeah. It's insane. And, when and, you but, start talking about people like software, I, I know. I know. It, it's it's just something you have to get used to. You know, and and people like us, our age, I mean, we should be used to it. But even when you say it like that, ooh, you just kind of get this like weird shiver down your spine. You're like, it's it's amazing that we've figured out how to do this. It's incredible. It's that slippery slope, man. Yeah. It's it's one second you're doing the right thing for mankind, and the next second it's eugenics, and it, like, it's it's really tough. Yeah, and that's not what I want. That's like, not what I, want I want people to be better. I want to eliminate disease. Like, so there's another thing that they've done with CRISPR. Um, so pigs are really similar to humans, and we've actually been using pigs' arteries for heart mm-hmm. transplant. Because guess what? It's really fucking hard to get a, a heart transplant. It's mm-hmm. hard to get an organ transplant, period. But someone needs to die and uh, for you to get a heart, that is. And I'm like, we just need to kill people. Uh, but you can actually use pig heart or pig uh, arteries if, you, yeah. if it's just an artery situation. The problem is they don't last forever right. because pigs are not – people so they're not 100 percent the same but with crispr they've been able to there's these innate innate viruses that exist within pigs mm-hmm. and they've been able to modify the dna of pigs in the embryonic state to get rid of these viruses that make them incompatible with human organs i think i've heard about that so yeah. they took 37 pigs and they edited that virus or the viruses that the pigs contain to that makes them incompatible with human transplant and were able to remove it in all 37 pigs Ooh. So, like, Nuts. I'm sorry, piggies, but also, like, yeah. do you know how hard it is to get a kidney for, like, if you could have a limitless source of organs to transplant? You sound like a supervillain. I know, I know. <laughs> no. And that's why, like, and I get it. Like, I, I know, I get it, too. I'm self-aware enough to be like, this is the problem, right? Yeah. But then you also feel weird as a person who, who wants progress, however yeah, limited yeah, that no, is. No, I know, I know. Yeah, no. And, and... Do what's what is right, and and the biggest your, the religious argument is is great because that is where I don't want to sound like that person because that's not who I am as a person, but like that's the line you're telling. You're yeah. like it almost seems like you're a Nazi or you're God fear. Well, those aren't exclusive either, but like it's like well, you're it, well, afraid of in progress. this moment. Yeah, well, in that in that moment, if I had Nazis over here saying we could make the Aryan race, or we had you know religious fundamentalists over here saying. I'm scared because this is like God is against us. I would be like quietly like lining up behind 
the God-fearing people. What verse are we at? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let me get in on this. Yeah, I mean, that's those weird bedfellows you make where, like, I think I think for people like us, we're probably way more on the fence than other people, clearly. Mm-hmm. And you would you would be weighing those elements. And unfortunately, on both sides, like, so much, it's you have these crazy polarizations. And unfortunately, I think some of those Nazis would be over in the other camp and vice versa, and it's not always fun. <gasps> But that's like the fear. That's truly the fear. There's so many people on earth. Like, and if this if this was something that could just happen at will, that's what's super super scary. Yeah. But then being something only for the elite and the rich to use, which is, is what also it scary. Feels like it would be. I mean, that I agree. is what it, it would be yeah. because like, which no is completely way. antithetical to everything that I believe. So right. I would be 100 percent against this if it was something that it would just be an incredibly exorbitant amount of money. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't done for anything that was life-saving for a kid. It would be just to make my kid not have any diseases ever okay. or try to make that to the case. It's, it's so tough. And that also applies to other stuff like sent the AI, robots. Mm-hmm. Like when do people become citizens? Like the, the Sophia robot. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't know what that is. It was like the beginning of last year, I think. So these guys from Hanson Robotics made what they claimed was an artificially intelligent robot. Not fucking true. And it has been super debunked by people who actually know AI, who work for AI for Facebook and Google and just like people that know are working on that. Because that doesn't actually exist. AI is, no. think of it as an autonomous thing that can respond to you. That is an artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like you and I having a conversation, the Turing test kind of situation. Like you would never know right. that I'm talking to something that's been created versus something that was born um so sophia was marketed as that by handsome robotics but all she is is a, is a animatronics robot the guy who was a fucking imagineer at disney mm. like he just knows how to make really convincing robots yeah. but they were touting her as being an ai and she's she's not, not here. but saudi arabia because they were having a big t- tech conference gave her honorary saudi arabia saudi citizenship amazing and people were pissed because it's like a month ago, women couldn't fucking drive right. in your country and you're giving a robot rights. Not to mention the whole implicit, like, of course, she was made with white latex skin. Like, yeah. you know, like her features are Caucasian. Uh, and she was made to be pretty for oh, no fucking reason. Oh, she's made to be like a person. Oh, yeah, yeah. She can oh, I was hoping walk. she would just be like one of those big egg oh, Japanese no, no. ones. Or that... like fucking Watson that IBM made. That was just a black cute or right. like rectangle. Oh, and that's like great. a 2001, yeah, monolith. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's know. how I like my AI, boxy <laughs> and unable to really get around. Yeah, I mean, this was really just this guy. I mean, he's already made uh, – he made an exact replica of his girlfriend at one point out of latex and stuff because – Gross. Yeah. So the inherent, like, misogynist nature of the design that like, she had to be attractive. And then they, they have – there's a, a dude robot that's comparable mm-hmm. quality and uh, ability. And they didn't make him look like anything because, of course not. That robot's not going to be able to follow through. That robot could not do a Bob Dylan podcast. Then you have other crazy shit like, okay, so let's not make robot bodies. What if instead you could just take your head and put it on another person's can't, body? I can't even talk about this. <laughs> this is horrifying. There's this like asshole guy who's a, a neurosurgeon or some kind of surgeon who's been saying that he's going to do a head transplant for the last like six years. I think I've heard about and this And he's guy, got though. this guy who's got this terrible disease, genetic disease that destroys his own cells. And that he, like, is going to die and needs another body. So he's like, this guy signed up to do it, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do it, going to do it. This is bogus. If you ever see a news story about this, this is a lie. People have been trying to take the heads off of things and put them on other things 
since the 1900s. Do you know who probably tried to take the head off of something and put it onto something? CL Blood. <laughs> that he did. With his super nitrous oxide. Oxy- oxygenated air. air. Come on, Daniel. Yeah. It's a little more credible Super, than that. yeah. Oh, do you want to know the value of selling your body? I do. A pair of eyeballs will oh, run this you. Amazing. This is on the black market via Gizmodo. Where they got this information... I don't know. I think they actually might have based it off of insurance premiums versus transplants. Oh, so like, yeah. I don't know where they got it, but this is this is a list. Eyeballs. Here you go. Pair of eyeballs, $1,525. Deal. Scalp, $607. Which, you would think. Who needs, I guess, if you want hair, is that like a thing? Maybe? I guess. I don't know. if I could say? Skull with teeth, $1,200. You got to die for that one. Shoulder. Shoulder, $500. Coronary artery. $1,525, same as So eyeballs. cheap as, this is like the price of a shitty used car, all of this. <laughs> Heart, 119000 Not to be outdone by the liver, 157000 Why is that more? Hand and Thank forearm, you, only sold as a set. $385. <laughs> Pint of blood. $385. Yeah. Just not 1000 Nope. Hand and forearm. Pint oh. of blood, $337. That's bullshit. I've given away pints of blood for free. I don't know who's buying. I, if there's anybody out there buying blood for $337 a pint, please email SOTWpod <laughs> at gmail.com. I'll Attention, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> Spleen, 508 uh. That you can live without, I think. So not so bad. Stomach, can't live without. 508 Small intestine. 508 I know. For a stomach. Hey, listen, I don't know. Small intestine, 2519 Seems important. In, like, is it the whole thing? It can't be the whole thing. Can't Kidney, the money maker. You can live with only one. Yeah. Two hundred sixty-two thousand. Oh my God! If anybody needs a kidney, again, please as a DW <laughs> at gmail.com. Gallbladder. I got rid of mine for free. Is your kidneys even good? Yeah, I mean, I really, would they want your kidney? Skin, ten dollars per square inch. That's not got, bad. Got a lot of skin. I could a probably lot. use a cube. So basically, you Out can there. buy an entire body for <laughs> under a mil. Yeah, man. Ooh. That's the... Oh, there are some people out there that do actuarial shit. The people that calculate costs of people's lives in insur- for insurance purposes, they could tell you exactly how much your life is worth to the penny. Oh, I don't want to know. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kelly. That was absurd. So Bob is on to something, apparently. Selling bodies like they do used cars. Well, you'd be better off getting a used car. It's going to set you back a little bit to buy an entire entire body. But you can get a couple parts, as we learned. Yeah. So, continuing on with the song. That was a detour. Oh, that was a, that was a great detour. I did, was not expecting any of that. <laughs> uh, moving on. Let's just move on to verse three. Um, I think this is where the soldier thing came up for me a lot. The hell-bent on destruction, afraid mm-hmm. and confused. His brain has been mismanaged with great skill. Uh, to me, that was just propaganda, you know, feeding people misinformation. All he believes are his eyes. His, li- his eyes are just telling him lies. And we learned eyes are... They don't cost that much. Yeah, you can buy a good set of eyes for for three G's. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, in the propaganda thing, I think it just it when you're listening to this in 1983, you're probably 
in the throes of not only the Cold War, you're also in the throes of Reagan and, you know, depending on your own politics or whatever, you know, you're in a certain place. Obviously, in 2018, you know, you listen to something like that and you can't help but see this is America. These these people afraid, confused. Your brains have been mismanaged because our education system is shit. Um, all they believe are their eyes and their eyes are telling them lies and they listen over and over and over and over again. Um Verse four, which is again on real live, it's rough. You were not a fan of when he starts doing yeah. the Bob Dylan craziness. But this I is my it. favorite part of the song. This is the best part, you know. Um, and I think it's the best part on literally every one of the covers too. They get really cool and creative with it. Not I, for the lyrical content, mind you, because the it doesn't. It's just kind of words, but yeah, it sounds the coolest. Also, like one, it's like one bridge. Uh, I like it that it's 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 kind of the one verse in the entire song that's different, which is kind of interesting. Um, but the whole, you know, maybe an actor in a plot that might be all that you got till your error, you clearly learn. You know, actor in a plot made me think of The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Song that I put on our playlist, which you can listen to at SOTWpod.com or see that my playlist is kept clean on Spotify. Uh, it's a song called Supporting Cast by a band that you may have heard of <laughs> if you're a, a, a listener of Report Propaganda. That song is all about, uh, I mean, just to take a little sampling of the lyrics, uh, quote, when the credits finally roll for this, the worst story ever told, don't bother sifting through the names for yours or anyone that you know, unless you were by chance a shepherd king, a virgin birth, a resurrection, a messianic prince, or some other such childish thing. Um, You know, the whole song is about we, the people, are a supporting cast of the rich and the wealthy and powerful that use the pornography of force to um keep us down i think there's a little bit of a little bit of that edge uh if you want to bring it to this song that i feel that bob's sort of talking about and so when we're just actors in a plot you know you can just think of hollywood or whatever but i also think of it on a you know you're sort of stumbling around in this thing we all go to work we all wake up at the same time we do the same stuff and then uh the final verse which i think is probably my favorite um now he worships at an altar of a, of, uh, of a stagnant pool, and when he sees his own reflection, he's fulfilled. Oh, man, as opposed to fair play, he wants it all, and he wants it his way. And I think that you could make this entire case for this song about being hubris and vanity, and it still feels very visceral, even if you're not looking at it in a religious context or anything like that. You know, I just think we as a people are pretty vain and self-centered and when you look into a stagnant pool and you see your own reflection and you're fulfilled, like that's all you need. Yeah. I mean, that's celebrity culture. That's exactly what America's like. You look in, at yourself on a, you listen to your voice on a podcast and you're fulfilled and everything's <laughs> better. Yes. Uh, I didn't realize how formulaic this song was until just now. It is first chorus, first chorus, bridge, repeat. Holy shit. Not a lot of Bob does that. So. Holy shit. So thinking more about this being the military government complex Ooh, yeah. situation, what if the pool... Okay, so the the woman on my block sitting, you know, like, it does change us a little bit. That next line is what changes because who's going to take away his license to kill happens every time. But depending on the verse, sitting there in a cold chill. Facing the hill. Yeah. Facing the hill. Capitol Hill. Ooh. Pool. Washington Pond. What if that's it, man? I mean, it's all still fits. It's not like, I like it's it. brave, but. Never crossed my mind even once, ever, 
that's fair at the end I was thinking oh man as opposed to fair play he wants it all and he wants it his way and I just thought tax the rich <laughs> also an underlying theme get of socialized yes tax the rich, tax the rich. <laughs> let's get, break out of this bullshit guys <laughs> holy fucking hell uh, yeah and, and I mean in the end of all of this I just thought you know this is about life on earth we're gonna be our own doom there's no way around it. I mean, that's fucking true. We will be the ones to pollute the planet, deplete our resources, kill all of our animals, uh, and then we're left with one another to murder until somebody gets the last shiny rock and realizes that it wasn't really worth it, and it never was. Yep. And it never would have been, and it shouldn't have been. I wish there were some people to see me have this rock. <laughs> doesn't really mean as much for any of And I wish I could build a fence around me while I hold the rock. And then try to convince some people to build me a hut so I can place the rock <laughs> and start this whole thing over again. Yep. Yeah, and I think when you think about it on that level and human history in general, it's not it's not something that we need to repeat. We need to break out of human history and be something better. Kelly, recommendations. We lived in the world. License to Kill. It's kind of a bleak song when you get down to it. Yeah, it's not always fun. I'd love to belt it out like I'm singing on fucking The Voice. That's a show, right? The Voice, American Idol, it's sure. back. Whatever. Kelly, what else were you doing this week in 2018? Oh, man. Uh, I didn't really listen to anything super in-depth, but uh, I listened to Japan Droids kind of all day. I saw that today. It's today, which was a lot of fun. I mean, that's a band that you've talked about forever. And I've heard because of you. Yeah. But I don't know. That's what it was. But I didn't really listen to a whole lot of music this week. Um, I mean, I didn't. I didn't. I'm always listening to music, but it's hard to pinpoint. I don't have a recommendation for that. But I did start watching Speechless a week or so ago. And it's fucking great. Um, it's like CBS or ABC. I don't know. It's a comedy. But the main character, if you will, it centers around a family who has a special needs kid who has cerebral palsy. His name is JJ. And the actor that plays him actually has cerebral palsy. So that's really fucking cool because that doesn't often happen. And they're fucking amazing. Minnie Driver out of nowhere came oh, back. Yeah. She's British as fuck. She's in it. And they're just a really poor because they pay for his medical care family who... It's like they're a hot mess. Oh, and also the woman, and I feel bad that I don't remember her name, who um, consulted on the show for the character that of JJ. Um, she has cerebral palsy. She's also nonverbal. She actually helped them design the way that JJ speaks, which is by using a laser pointer to point to letters on a board who his aide reads for him. That's how she uh, speaks is, is through an aide using that board. Wow. So uh, that you can hear an interview with her on Query. And it was nice. really good. And yeah, the show's just really cool. It's cool to see disabled people. We should have more of that representation. Yes. It's not a thing that's common, especially when played by an actual person um, that that has a disability. So that's really cool. Speechless, yeah. is, it's great. And it's fucking funny. Like, it really is funny because they're, they're real people that have, like, our city sometimes. Yeah. And, like, they're messes, and it's great. Fantastic. Yeah. That sounds great. I listened to a few things this week, Ellie. Yeah. One, hop along. We were not doing a podcast in 2015, but I recommend going out and listening to Painted Shut. They released their new single called How Simple. Holy fuck. I'm hyped. <laughs> I'm on the hype train. Philly bringing it hard this year. Go hop along. Oh, my God. I'm really, like, tempted. I, I would say that I was tempted to go see them, but they're not coming to Portland. Because yeah. no one is. Jeff Rosenstock also skipping over <laughs> Portland. What's going on here? Whatever. Started a podcast, new podcast, called Carry the Banner. That is hosted by the lead singer of the Flatliners, Chris Cresswell. No shit. He just started doing interviews with his friends on the road to b build, you know, time in between fucking waiting around for the show to start. 
So he's talking to the Mensagers. He's talking to um, Comeback Kid. He's talking to um, Warriors. Um, yeah, just a bunch of people. And so the last episode that he just did, episode seven, I believe, he talked to Chicken and Ian from Dead to Me. They are newly sober, both of them. This is a band I love dearly. And Chicken's always been very high. <laughs> and it's and so hearing him talk about sobriety and it just makes me so happy that these guys are really put together for once again and they come out every you know with a record every fucking like five six years and it's always like an absolute treat and i just got so excited listening to them and i've just been listening to dead to me constantly so when that album comes out you will be hearing about it <laughs> ursula Gwynn died she was you don't know she was uh she's an author she died in portland she was um, a science fiction writer. Oh. She wrote a book um, that basically posited that um, what if there was no such thing as gender in 1969, I think, the book came out. And it was based on a world where there were no such thing as gender. It was just something that you would sort of morph into when the need arose for it in society. I'm into that. And then she fell in love with a, with a man from Earth. And what did that mean like for a genderless person? to be in love with someone from earth because she brought women into science fiction. Um, she was writing from the 1950s onward and it was a male dominated, um, you know, thing that I, I think I mean, people today, is. absolutely. And so she's also, she was not able to break that convention wholly. Some of her biggest characters are men, but they're not that typical macho, you know, sort of what you think of when you think of like a Western and all the stuff that was coming out at that point. So she's, Famous and known for that, and she lived a long life to be 88. Um, she said, quote, in 2005, echoing in a sense, I think, License to Kill, quote, if you cannot or will not imagine the results of your actions, there's no way you can act morally or responsibly. Little kids can't do it. Babies are morally monsters, completely greedy. <laughs> their imagination has to be trained into foresight and empathy. And then RIP to Nakaner Para. 103 years old, he died. Damn. He was a Chilean giant of poetry. He was a theoretical physicist who turned into a poet. He actually taught theoretical um, physics for his entire life, his entire career, but he was known for his poetry. He wrote a book that I own and I'm very proud of, and it's one of, my, it's one of the only books I still have in Spanish and one of the first books that I could read fully in Spanish, Poemas y Antipoemas, Poems and Antipoems. So he's famous for what's called antipoetry. Uh, and anti-poetry is uh, – the Washington Post summarized it pretty good in his obituary. Um, anti-poetry is, quote, about an off-kilter world in which love begets ex exploitation. Sex becomes torture and miscommunication reigns. They often feature lost souls unable to connect with one another as their minds wander from heads of lettuce in the kitchen to concerns about the reproduction of spiders. Humor is the key ingredient. And Para said, humor makes contact easier. Remember that it's when you lose your sense of humor that you begin to reach for your pistol. Mm. Very important in this world that we live in today. So two poems really quick that I want to read because sure. I think it will kind of bring out uh, what antipoemas are. And this is from his from the book, from the, the very first poem in uh, Poemas e Antipoemas uh, called Lullaballo. As I was walking in the park one day, I chanced to run into an angelorium. Good morning, he said. I answered back, good day. He was speaking Spanish, but I use French. Dites-moi, Sir Angel. 
Comment va monsieur. He stretched out his hand. I grabbed his foot. You should get a good look at a real live angel, as, as silly as a swan, as cold as a crowbar, as fat as a duck, as ugly as you are. I got a little scared, but I stuck it out. I tried to touch his feathers. His feathers felt as hard as the hard shell of a fish. Just think if it was Lucifer. I made him mad. He took a swipe at me with his golden sword, but I was quick and I ducked. That was the looniest angel I ever hoped to see. I laughed myself to pieces and said, Goodbye, kind sir. Be on your way. Have a nice day. Get run over by a car. Get killed by a train. So that's the story of the angel. The end. <laughs> that's pretty much Yeah, and so it's like just humorous and weird. Uh, and then there's another great book that he came out with later called Antipoems, How to Look Better and Feel Great. And this is a little longer one, but I want to read it. And I think this is sort of gets to the whole point, which is like it's sort of stream of consciousness. It's bringing poetry from the high tower to the regular speech. And it, it leaves you sometimes like baffled. Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Grabbing an angel's foot. Like, what's even happening here? But then if you start thinking about it on other levels, maybe it means something to you. Maybe it doesn't. And I think Bob Dylan kind of operates on that level, too. And we'll get to Bob Dylan and, and Para as well, which I did not realize there was a connection. But what? we'll get to that in a second. So one more poem. This poem is called uh, Something Like That from Antipoems. Para laughs like he's condemned to hell. When haven't poets laughed? At least he declares that he's laughing. They pass. The years pass. The years at least seem to be passing. Hypothesis non fingo, which is actually from Newton. He was actually one of the foremost Newton Scientist, He knew everything about well, Newtonian physics. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that hypothesis non-fingo means I feign no hypothesis. Everything goes on as if it were passing. Now he starts to cry, forgetting that he's an anti-poet. Stop rocking your brains. Nobody reads poetry nowadays. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Four defects that myophilia won't forgive me for. Old, low life, communist, and national literature prize. For the first three, but never for the last. My corpse and I understand each other marvelously. My corpse asks me, do you believe in God? I respond with a hearty no. My corpse asks, do you believe in the government? I respond with a hammer and sickle. My corpse asks, do you believe in the police? I respond with a punch in the face. <laughs> then he gets up out of his coffin and we go arm in arm to the altar. The true problem of philosophy is who does the dishes. Nothing otherworldly. God, the truth, the passage of time. Absolutely. But first... Who does the dishes? Whoever wants to do them, go ahead. See you later, alligator. And we're right back to being enemies. <laughs> Homework assignment. Compose a sonnet that begins with the following iambic pentameter line. I would prefer to die ahead of you. And then end with the following. I would prefer that you be the first to die. <laughs> you know what happened while I was kneeling in front of the cross looking at his, Jesus, looking at his wounds? He smiled at me and he winked. Before, I thought he didn't ever laugh. But now, yeah, I believe for real. <laughs> a decrepit old man throws red carnations at his beloved mother's coffin. What you are hearing, ladies and gentlemen, is an old wino is bombarding his mother's tomb with ribbons of red carnations. I quit sports for religion. I went to mass every Sunday. I abandoned religion for art, art for mathematical sciences, until at last illumination hit. And now I'm someone only passing through. Who puts no faith in the whole or its parts. That's fucking great. They're fantastic. I recommend going out and getting getting poemas e antipoemas or or antipoems, uh the, the the latest version that came out just a few years ago. Uh now the connection to Bob Dylan. 
I did not realize this, but in the year 2000, Para said when people first starting um, first started to put Bob Dylan's name out for a Nobel Prize, he said that Bob Dylan should win the Nobel Prize, and he should win it for only three verses, and the the three verses are the chorus of Tombstone Blues. Mama's in a factory, she ain't got no shoes. Daddy's in the alley, he's looking for food. I'm in the kitchen where the tombstone blues. Which is a song off of 1965's Highway 61 Revisited. Uh, Mama's in the factory, she ain't got no shoes. Daddy's in the alley, he's looking for food. I'm in the kitchen with the tombstone blues. Parra said that alone right there. He said, uh, those three verses appeal to him deeply, quote, due to his lack of artistic pretension, real realism with the factory, the alley and the kitchen where the child is alone with the tombstone blues. So Parra on board on the, on the train for Bob Dylan and the Nobel prize. So I did not know that in the year 2000, Pretty cool. in the year 2000, <laughs> that was a Conan O'Brien thing, right? Yeah, I think so. In the year 2000. Anyways, so that's um, that. Those are my recommendations. Para, Ursula Le Guin, which I do want to actually read. Carry the banner and hop along. Hop along. I was also going to say Jeff Rosenstock because Jesus Christ, I can't get away from again. That. Kelly, did you know that we're also a real podcast? Yes. You sound hesitant about that, but you shouldn't be because we definitely are. We're definitely on all the places that you consider, like face. Book? Book. Right. Instagram. <laughs> um, Twitter. There's not two words for that one. Twitter. Although Instagram is one word. You know what? Instagram is one word. But it's instant. Uh, we're also on Patreon. Did you know that? I heard that we did that recently. That's we great. We did do that. We're on Patreon. If you listen to this podcast and you get enjoyment out of this, we want you to be a part of this great podcast. Yeah. Go to Patreon. Go to Patreon. Give us a dollar. That would be wonderful. Because if you give us a dollar, then we can talk to you on Patreon, all secret and special-like. Also, maybe you get a, uh, a episode that other people don't have. Maybe you can – there's other options on there. And maybe you could even suggest an episode for us to do. Like, remember Against Me? That was cool. Remember when we talked about the Cranberries? That was cool, too. We could do a whole episode of a band that you pick. Yeah, we got lots of stuff that we want to do. But sometimes we just want to know that you're out there thinking of us. So get in touch with us. Follow us. Let us know that you enjoy it. If you can't give any money, that's fine. We just want to know that you're alive and that you're doing well and that we're maybe bringing something to your life. If we are, let us know. If not, don't don't talk to us. We just assume that 7 billion people not into it. That's fine. <laughs> or they don't know about it yet. We're fine. We're going to win them over eventually. But if we've won you over, let us know. All right, Kelly, so we are taking off the song, License to Kill. We are down to the final of the 490s. Okay. We're 490. One out of 490, please. Uh, 26? Wow. There's okay? no way it's going to be 26. I mean, there's no way I'll ever be right until we have less than 10 songs. And even then. Oh, no, he'll find a way. And I'll find a way just to let I mean, you. Honestly, when we have... Two songs. I still might pick wrong. That's true. All right. Once you said 26. Correct. 26 is the wrong answer. Great song, though. Meet Me in the Morning, Blood on the Tracks. It would have been our first Blood on the Tracks since oh, yeah. Tangled Up in Blue in episode three. That was on that album? 
Yeah. What's the one that everyone really likes? Highway 61? Is that the one? That's an album. Is that the best one? Which one's the best one? Well, I mean, I'll, I'm pretty partial to that. Okay, that's what I thought. Anyways, the answer is 132. <laughs> Kelly, you so ready? the furthest away I've been. So. All right, Kelly. You're going to be stoked. Am I? Yeah. Is it on Desire? Yes, is it, it is. Is it the album Desire? No, it's not the album Desire. No, I think Desire's like in the 400s. But no. it's on Desire? That's fun. Yeah, it's great. Ooh, and it's really, it's sandwiched between a couple gray ones. Ooh, there's some Dirge down there. Hey, what's, <laughs> good, what's up, Dirge? Uh, anyway, sorry. I'm getting kind of carried away. No, this is the this is the song right before um, Sarah. Black Diamond Bay. I remember I said in the oh. Sarah episode, I was like, when I listen to this album, skip over Joey, get to Black Diamond Bay, and then I just parachute oh, yeah, out. Okay. Black Diamond Bay. Desire, 1976 yeah. again. So we're desire. getting two. Damn, that's nuts. I'm into that. That's awesome. Come on, Scarlett. Yeah, 132. So what's song? up? Yes. So, all right. So next week, Black Diamond Bay, we're going to be diving into a whole cast of characters. We're going to be hanging out with a girl who's in a, a nice hat. We're going to be talking about other people. Find yourself a girl in a nice hat. And then we're going to talk about Bob. Bob just sitting at home drinking a beer in L.A. It's going to be great. Cool. And we are going to have a beer with Bob in anticipation of Black Diamond Bay. I don't think he's ever played this live if I'm being – if I'm going to be – I'm going to go out on a limb here. I don't mm. think he's ever done that. Uh, so next week, we're going to be back. Black Diamond Bay, Desire, 1976. Kelly, have a great night. Hey, you too. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye.